So I was going through the house and I determined I'd leave that bedroom till the end and I was doing my cleansing and you walk in and you say in the name of Jesus Christ I cast out any evil spirits and you do in this sprinkling water thinking gosh this and I was getting glass and this is this is ridiculous this is boring I hope no one's videoing this sort of syndrome and I went to walk through the open door and I was being pushed backwards and I ended up fighting nothing holding my head again making my way through crowded thoughts sometimes it's hard to get out of it hey everyone first of all A very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year wherever you are in this time in real life and this time in history when you and us, when we go back and listen to this, I have been thinking a lot about, I guess, the transition between years and what that offers us at an unconscious level. It's something like this ritual, you know, where we get to the end of the cycle and then if we're lucky we get to a little bit of time over that break to think about what's next what's the next voyage what's beyond and it is one of the gifts and burdens of humanity to have that gift and burden of the next chapter so i wish and hope that your next chapter is with optimism with hope with love and all of the things in between I want to welcome you to this episode of Please Blow My Mind with me, Will Fleming. We, like I mentioned, we're at the end of another cycle. For me, it's hard to see the difference between the ebbs and flows of everything because I set out on this weekly task of conducting a a meaningful conversation and I'm pleasantly surprised every time it happens. It's like it manifests itself that, that there will be someone to talk to it's one of the as i've learned it's one of the kind of like staples of humanity this idea of conversation and that people wish to talk and i think we live in a time now where we're able to value that a bit more because we forgot we forgot that this in-person and digital connection that we have is a foundation as a pillar of what we are and who we are and maybe who we could be. So I have unconsciously stumbled upon this beautiful art form of podcasting, and and I get to do that every week and, and share that with myself and the guest and you, and and that's kind of cool. I really think it's cool. So look, to, to end this year and to begin the next year, I've invited my friend Bruce Howitt, who just fascinates me. He fascinates me because he's lived a life. In fact, (laughs) I say to him all the time, he's lived many lives. And at the time of recording this podcast, he signed a new book deal, a big book deal, and it's a big thing. And I just found it really interesting that I get to talk to Bruce. So you can go back and have a look at Bruce's first podcast with me. I think I go through the years with him and and, um, we get to about year 20 and I said to him "Uh, okay when you come back on we will do another podcast and we'll pick up from the age of 20 I don't think we move past that far into the future like we got to maybe 21 or 22 and we had an hour and a half discussion it was just beautiful and I just decided that every time I talk to this guy 
we're just going to get a little bit of magic we're going to open up the floodgates of awesomeness and let it flow so with that said I'm going to wrap it up here I want to say thank you all for blowing my mind this year and all of the years that we've been doing this and I really look forward to what 2022 brings I know that's a a bit of an oxymoron isn't it like you can't say you're looking forward to 2022 but hell yeah I am I'm looking forward to it because we have no other option we have to look forward like literally physically spiritually mentally looking forward planning forward thinking forward going forward okay let's get into the episode with Bruce Howard safe times everybody Merry Christmas Happy New Year and I'll see you very soon. Bringing out the fire, bring on all the lightning. Cause I'm looking for a hero, look inside the mirror. I find one. Oh, carry the hurt when it gets too hard. Pick it up, dust it off. When I fall down 11, I get up 12. Don't need nobody else. Yeah, I can save myself. Bruce, we're here. Round two. I've been looking forward to this. I don't know if you remember last time you were here. Yes. But uh, we we were kind of going through your story. And jeepers, what a story. We got to about 20. (laughs) And I think you'd just um, signed up for police college. You took us through the... And I encourage anyone to go back and have a listen to that because, I mean, it's not a direct kind of bio of your story. I'm, I'm interested in that, but you're writing books around that. I'm kind of interested in... You know, like we were talking when you first arrived, how you draw on experience, not just to kind of guide you, but that's the stuff that keeps you, what would you say? It makes you get out of bed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there's like plenty of things for you not to, not for you, but for all of us, eh, if you really think about it. Well, I read a thing a number of years ago, and it said, what makes you get out of bed in the morning, apart from your bodily functions, you know, having to go, you, your bladder or bowel, mm. what actually makes you get out of bed is your reason often for existing. Mm. And it's actually what your personal motivation is. And, um, yeah, it's it's fascinating talking to other people to try and establish, and especially with staff, what, why do you even bother coming in here? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, and people in my, some people's work that they do for me would be the ultimate of boredom, and yet they get out of bed and go and do it every day. I mean, that is a little bit of, uh, you know, I don't want to, what is the term, use these terms without kind of understanding really what I'm saying, but that's how life is. We always yeah. misappropriate things. You know, this divine spark within us. Yes. It's kind of like if you said to someone, what that means is that you'll be really good at something that others find hard, but it's a day in the park for you. Yeah. And it's if you can find that, guess what? You go into flow, you can make money off that. I'm working on that letter, but I'm working hard on that letter, but now since I lost all my money, I'm now working harder. And it, and it's interesting, you know, something getting ancient now, and how to work out at this stage of your life how to redesign yourself so you can and. And you know, and my first book there blew my socks off by getting being a finalist in the Naya Marshall Awards, and I was visiting a lady this morning. I talked about her husband when we first came that he was dying. Well, he's died during the lockdown and oh, all, all no. of that. And, and so today's the first chance I've within myself had that, uh, to go and visit her, 
And she said, you know, I've read that book four or five times and I just sit there and say, why? Mm. I can't comprehend it. Mm. And she can't comprehend me not comprehending it. Mm. And we don't know how interesting we are to other people often. Until it's too late. Yes. Right. And I mean, we talked about that last time you were here after our podcast record. We said that chap we were going to try and organize. Yes. And this was pre the second pandemic stuff. um, Yeah. But that didn't happen, and guess what? Now we have to live with that forever, that we didn't, we didn't capture that. Him. And, uh, yeah. and the sad thing is that what he wanted to talk about, and I can't go into it at a whole range of levels, and part of it was he didn't tell me, but mm. he gave me enough of an idea, his family will never, ever know. Yeah, yeah. Now I can't share it with him because I don't know mm. myself. Well, we can kind of at least acknowledge the, the man, you know, oh, in this recording, yeah. and and say that it's a lesson too for us to be like, yeah, it's not just tech and whiz and bang. It's um, us capturing a tiny piece of life and trying to, you know, I guess put that out there, gift that back to you know family. Well, what will your future generations know about you? unless you do something like this or write a book about yourself. Mm. Because we'll never actually know the truth about any individual unless they tell their story. Yeah. I remember when I was at school, I used to get niggled with my school teachers over a lot of stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> I love school not. <laughs> but the teachers in English used to tell us what the poet was saying or what the writer was saying, and I thought, where is that person? Have you brought them in for me to actually check out that that is what they... You tell me what you think they're saying, but how do we know that's what they were saying? <laughs> it's so true. And you know, the only way someone can know what I think and that is for me to tell people what mm-hmm. I think, what actually was going on internally in me. You might see my actions, but you don't know what's happening inside of me to bring about those actions. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wanted to pick up where we left off, but can I first ask, like... You know, uh, maybe we talk about um, the church stuff you run, and obviously it went all online. Is that back in person now? Since uh, no. We've, no, no, I am actually helping Pukekohe Methodist Church out for January, February, and could be as late as April mm. even. And um, they're doing the same as we're doing here at Waikou. We're still keeping it as online. Okay. Uh, There's a cost to pay for that, like in terms of the human spirit, <laughs> or do you think it can well, we, transcend the internet? We did We did our first um, experiment mm. in St Andrews this last Sunday where Richard and the minister invited uh, a select 20 people, and, and they were selected because... A, they were vaccinated, so mm. that caused no grief, and we knew that. But B, they actually haven't got the internet or computers, so they've, for months they've not had church, which is an integral part of their life. Yes. Uh, and so, and we've got new cameras set up in the church with a view to doing this sort of stuff. We mm. didn't know it was going to end up like it has. When we did it, it was mainly for funerals and things like that to yeah. record them. But um, it was interesting because those of us who were continuing watching Zoom not everybody, but I was in the category that we lost something because it didn't feel as intimate. Mm. Now, that seems weird, yes. but it, 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 when we've been got used to Zoom, we're actually seeing each other's faces. Mm. And there's a whole lot of interaction goes on that you don't normally get in a church in a normal church. Right, that's a good insight. And, you know, people getting up and going to the toilet and not really, they haven't muted their thing and they flush their toilet and, <laughs> and having their cup of tea and their jam and toast. <laughs> yes. doesn't normally happen. And so it's sort of become mainstream now for that to happen. Mm. And um, 
people are more relaxed and it's the same with when we finish the service, there's a time for people to chat and there is, we now open half an hour before the church service and it's hard to shut everyone up not being rude <laughs> so you can start the church service and the same at the end and as the minister you feel obliged to be there till the end mm. and you're thinking, this is three quarters of an hour more, <laughs> you know, and it's not, not de- decrying it but it's, it's because we've all been deprived of that intimacy with each other mm. with being able to physically be together. Yeah. So we've got to a, new, a different form of intimacy through lockdown. And for some of us, and I know for me, I, I'm actually concerned as to how I'll cope with taking a live church service now because I've right. got really used to the technology-driven services. <laughs> I can do things that I couldn't do in a normal service. Yeah, like wear your slippers. <laughs> well, you won't say what's below the camera. You never do that. You never knew in the media comment on that. But no, you, 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 know, um, you can actually play a, quite a different array of music. Mm. You can use video clips and things like that, you know, YouTube, a whole lot of YouTube stuff. Uh, that you would normally never get access to. Yeah. And you know, I've taken a service in, here at, on the um, first Sunday in January, and I'm actually quoting a um, professor of cognitive science, and I actually shared it with our worship committee and a whole lot of others, her TEDx talk, when she talks about how language shapes us. Mm. And, uh, and it's really, really powerful because... When I was in communication, I wrote a degree in international communication. I went to a conference in Sydney, and one of the hot topics back then was how how does language shape us? What Lara's doing now as a professor is that she's actually got cold, raw, hard data, which actually has killed a lot of our old arguments, which were more about our prejudice and our bias. Mm. And um, I'll pick up a couple of illustrations because it... My brain's not stopped since I saw her TEDx, and, and it's going back into my... I wrote a degree in communication, even... Well, there wasn't a degree in communication for me to have in those days. Mm. There are now. But it made me think, gee, do I want to do a PhD in this? I think that's kind of... That sounds like that's what you should be doing. Uh, it, she, she got me sparkled because she talked about every noun has a verb that promotes the noun... And the verb actually has a gender associated to it. And it happens in all, well, nearly all languages. Um, I was intrigued to find we're down to 7,000 languages in the world now. She says every week in the world, one language dies. And in the next 10 years, we'll be less than half the languages we've got now. Mm. And that's, that's a tragedy, in my opinion. But she says, and I'll, I hope I get it right, that in German, the... Um, the word moon has a, a mas- masculine a noun attached to it, and the sun has a feminine. In Spanish, it's the reverse. <laughs> so it creates interesting dynamics, especially for a multicultural society, as to how do we actually meaningfully communicate. Yeah, and it also suggests that there's these inbuilt systems that are purposefully opposite. Exactly. And, you know, we even see that in today's Kiwi culture where it's like people can't agree on this vaccine, for example. Yep, 100%. But it's, well, we're not the first ones to not agree on something. So you have to, like, think, well, maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's this idea that 
It's inbuilt. <laughs> well, it's interesting to say that because one of my arguments through all this anti-vax thing and that, and I've got friends who are anti-vaxxers, and I see my responsibility to journey with them, not to get them to the point that I am, yeah. but just so that they've got a voice to talk to and mm-hmm. reason with and go through it. But, I, you know, I'm old enough to remember when seatbelts were made compulsory. And I'd only had my licence of matter of... And I wasn't going to put one of those strangular things on. They'll kill me. And I bet you they'll kill me in an accident. They won't save my life. And now I won't let anyone in my car who doesn't put one on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the... And, you know, it's the same with vaccines. You know, mm. one of my uncles, he was in the polio epidemic. And uh, he walked like a ewe. He was just bent over and it was polio that mm. did it and when you know time came for us to get vaccines as kids mum and we would squawk mum would say do you want to end up like uncle russell yeah oops it yeah. was the vaccine yeah it's uh, and i bet you and after all the dust has settled and i'm predicting you can put it in, <laughs> in on formula here i'm predicting it'll be at least 10 years till covid settles down mm. And whether, whether we'll get 100% control of it, you know, polio still exists in parts of the world, yeah. but it's, as a global problem, it's eradicated, mm. but it still exists in parts. And, I, you know, there's people saying it's just a flu bug. Well, we've never cured the flu. We still, you know, I have to have flu injections because my heart condition to mm. keep me alive. It's mm. as simple as that. Yeah. I don't know what's in the ruddy thing. Yeah. All I know is that I haven't had the flu since I've had them. And if you do get it, evidently you don't get it as bad. Yeah, that's right. And it's hard to actually, you know, if you, if you haven't had COVID, you wouldn't know what it's like. And exactly. all you have is people's, you know, way of explaining it to you, which is sometimes you come across a video of someone, I saw one the other day of a lady in, New Zealand hospital, Pacific lady, and like you could feel the pain. Yeah, and I sometimes think that's what that's what doesn't come through in the logical stand-up talk, right? Yes. Okay, here's some facts and figures and a graph. It's like sometimes we just need to be seen and uh, show. See someone else suffering from yeah. it, it. It actually resonates more with yeah. us. And to be honest, there's only a small percentage of the population that's that right. facts and figures work for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I would say like I always think about that. That for most of history, that wasn't we didn't have that. No, you didn't have a graph. No. <laughs> you know, no. what did you have? You had well, I guess the trust you had with a couple of people in a different community. You listen to the elders to get their wisdom from yeah. their years of experience, yeah. which we've and to a certain extent denigrated nowadays. We don't listen to elders anymore because mm. um, they all become old and cantankerous. Um, <laughs> And I'm not saying you're old, but I'm saying you're wise. And guess why you're sitting here? Because everyone needs to hear this stuff, right? Like it's life isn't this kind of cookie cutter system where life there's good and evil. Life is a straight line graph. Yeah, yeah. It isn't. If you graph your life, it's all over the place, and it doesn't even keep going forward. It goes, it, it goes backwards. It goes all sorts of fancy mm. directions. If you are honest, and even in a given day, your own moods will shift all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, is um, is that work like? I asked you because you have a good understanding of the Bible. Do you feel like the Bible has? How do I say it? it? Sounds so obvious. Of course, it helps distinguish good and evil. But does it have lots of grey? Does the, the, <laughs> do you, you know? Because I feel like that's the area now where there's no grey in everything. There's no shades. It's like you're on that team or that team, and that's it. I must admit that's COVID's created that, and mm. that, that gives me great discomfort. Yeah. I really, you know, 
and that's why I'm prepared to talk with anti-vaxxers, yeah. you know, even though I'm vaccinated, because I don't like creating a... It's a form of apartheid. That's all it is, mm-hmm. in my biased opinion. The Bible... Um, if you read the Old Testament, is riddled with it. And to me, there's two books of the Bible are my favourites, and one is the Psalms, because when I went through my darkest period, which was after my stabbing in the police, mm. it was actually reading one of the Psalms that clicked for me, yeah. and it gave me purpose. But the other one is the book of Job, and Job is um, about... We don't know for sure who's a real character or whether he was mythical, to be fair. Uh, there'll be devout people who will say it's it's for real. I don't care, to be honest. To me, it, it's a sto- it, what the book of Job tells us is about what I just described, about life being higgledy-piggledy, because Job was described as an extremely righteous man with a fantastic relationship with Yahweh, which is the old, that tribe of Israel's name for God, and that... He had every tribulation, every disease, everything that could go wrong went mm. wrong in his life. And his wife told him to curse God, and he said he couldn't. Uh, and uh, you know, he, uh, this was a man of immense faith. And I think it's in there for some for a more wisdom factor to say that being of any religion, of any faith is not an insurance policy that you're going to have a perfect, smooth life, whatever that might be. I, I still don't know what a perfect, smooth life is. In fact, I think it must be the outright boring if you did have it. <laughs> so, you know, the book, if you go into the Old Testament, that there are, they do exist in the New Testament, but they're... Um, it's more allegorical in the New Testament with the teachings of Jesus mm. uh, as to and when you go beyond the Gospels, it's actually about really about the, trying to establish a Christian church. Mm. The writings after the Gospels is about the, especially the Apostle Paul is about how do we put a structure and shape to this and the problem people read it nowadays and think that one day Jesus died and then crucified and next a few days later he's from a Christian perspective he's alive spiritually blah 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 some still believe physically and um, that's within the following week that the Christian church started well no it was actually a couple of hundred years <laughs> it wasn't instant magic mm. and if you go and you read the New Testament with that degree of speed that it's instant you you don't get the depth picture of what it's trying to paint, my belief anyways. Mm-mm. You know, like one of the things that I've been thinking since we last talked, and you will have picked up in us hanging out that obviously I'm curious about how we yep. all fit together and, and whatnot. We're a jigsaw with gaps between the pieces. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sometimes <laughs> I've got some gaps, all right. <laughs> but But I've tried to think like, you know, in terms of, well, there's some things in life that just feel okay, and one of those things is, let's just say if most things pan out and you have a child, you're, you're most likely it won't be too hard to love them, right? Yeah, and I'm, it I'm, comes naturally. That's right. I'm definitely yeah. acknowledging the fact that there's brutal parts of everyone's upbringing and whatnot, and we're yeah. carrying it, so it's not bulletproof, but let's just say for most of it, it's an inbuilt thing that it works like that. Yes. And there's not too much of a manual, even though many would argue we should have way more of a manual if we knew the outcome of you know our trauma passing on. But let's just say in its most beautiful sense, it's quite a straightforward relationship. I want to think about faith and religion like that. Yeah. I want to think that as long as you don't think that you actually control everything, that's part of the trick. 
that when you outsource, you're actually acknowledging the fact that whether it's meditation or prayer or talking to a better version, that that might be something that most people can, you know, not have the feeling, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Am I part of the right religion here? And that if it, you know, a divine thing should be like that, should be like uh, that, how I outlaid it for a parent. You know, it's like it feels divine in that moment and everyone kind of knows the rules and there's a dependent and someone to love them. What do you reckon? Well, you're going to have a favourite subject. Um, (laughs) I've got lots of favourite subjects. I've yet in my life to meet a person who sets out to be a a failure as a parent. Mm. They mightn't parent the way I would, but and I'll give you an illustration one of my stories, war stories. When I was in the police uh, and I got a call to um, the TAB in um, Hamilton East had been burgled. And we got there and there was a little louver windows that they'd broken in to get in the building. And uh, I thought this is going to be a challenge for me to get through that flipping window because <laughs> we couldn't get a keyhole to come and open the premises up for us to eventually catch the offender. So I had to get the dog through. And I can tell you which... <laughs> Part of my spine I wrecked on that occasion. Keep going, keep going. Because you, you had, I had to lift the dog up to leverage her through this little toilet louver windows. And you, you know, they're not designed for people of my size and bulk. <laughs> little, even a small police dog. And at last minute, she put a paws either side, and because she was going to fall down onto a toilet, and she wasn't amused, and shoved back against me. And there was a god almighty crack, and that's one of my many spinal injuries. But I got her in the building anyways. And then got some of the others to push my feet up and we managed to squeeze me in there while the dogs roaring our head off at some offenders inside. And we get in and because we're worried because most buildings you can unlock them from the inside, even you can't from the outside. And TABs in those days were no exception. They're a bit different now, but uh, I know because I did work with them in one of my former jobs. And um, But we got in there and there was this boy that looked about seven, eight, nine, something like that, and this older bloke. And so, uh, you know, I handcuffed the, the pair of them to, to each other since was, and kept the dog at bay because I didn't want the dog biting this young kid. Mm. I, I was, your mind goes into overdrive and you're trying to work out what on earth is going on here. Yeah. So we got him out and it was after my f- shift was meant to finish, but I, I, I've never been worried about finish times or start times. <laughs> you just work. <laughs> and so uh, I asked the detectives, could I come down to the station and sit in on the interview? And I think they were a bit worried that I might want, I'd lose my rag and want to punch the, this guy out. And I, I, they had no comprehension. But they said, yes, so long as you sit quietly in the corner. And I've, I'll go to my grave never forgetting this father's explanation. And he said to the detectives, once they got him into position where he was talking freely, and he said, and they said, look, the dog handler's here because he can't understand why you had your kid in there. And he said, I'm training him. And they said, what do you mean you're training him? He said, well, I'm a fourth-generation burglar, and I want my son to learn how to be a good burglar. And we made a mess of this one tonight, obviously, but I want him to be a good burglar. I want him to learn the family trade. And it really kaboomed me in the forehead. And I thought, I'm sitting here condemning you, and yet I've heard your backstory. And you're actually trying to be the best parent you can. Mm. You grew up in a different world to me, and your definition of love and caring for your kids is different to me. But And it goes back to your point. 
he is actually caring and loving his son by teaching him to be a burglar. Mm. And yet the rest of us would say, disgusting, disgraceful. Yeah. At a certain level, we do have to say disgusting, disgraceful to, have, to run a fabric of society. But another level, it says to me, and that it was a number of incidents towards the end of my career, and that was the latter one where I started to say, the system is an abject failure. We condemn people without understanding. We're not actually, we want to throw people in prison and we don't want to actually know why did they get in this position and how can we turn it around. And it's like Waiku Family Support. Our strategic Mm. plan is two to three generations. Yes. Because you can't change it in one, you can't change it within one person. If you can get us to change a small percentage of our behaviours and our thinking, then it's a major milestone because mm. it'll impact on future generations. That's right. So we've got to we've got to measure success. We haven't got. I don't think we're even ten percent of the on the of the journey towards success on working out what actually is success mm. when it comes to people doing antisocial things. And that dad, you can argue, was trying to love the child with. With what he had, exactly something he was like using that. Using the eh? skills and the tools that he had learned, and he was passing them on. And you know, look, there's people that abuse kids, and it brings up every hackle in my head. Yeah. And you know, I remember a case when I was in Rotorua, uh, and it, I won't go into the details of it because it, it could be fun our listening, and it would upset them. And I just thought, how the hell can you do that to your own kid? And then through stuff I was doing, I got to hear the intergenerational story and that's when I just and you know, I, it wasn't an, inst, an aha moment where I said we've got to go to intergenerational but that certainly said to me we got the formula wrong mm. we got it seriously wrong and we we stick them in prisons that are actually colonisation methodologies yep. as though the POMs have got it right <laughs> pardon me <laughs> Can anyone tell me in any civilization in the world where imprisoning people has actually worked? Mm. Now, there's a small percentage of people that are in prisons, probably about 5 to 7%, that when we actually, historically, we've never worked out what to deal with. We yeah. don't know. Yeah. They are such a form of psychopathy that we, even our top people in the world, mm. have no inkling how you turn them around into functioning people. Yeah, that's right. And there's no acknowledgement that this the system that we run kind of enhances that behavior like at least to some level i remember talking to a chap samoan chap he's now kind of a app inventor and whatnot and he told me he doesn't remember his dad hitting his mum until they came to new zealand because there was no structure like he kept getting tickets for getting no driver's license and it's like the stress built the stress built and it Guess where it and came out. He doesn't out. understand it, why what's mm. happening to him, yeah. and that's what's saying. We've got to be serious about. We're multilingual, multicultural New Zealand, except we're trying to operate in a mono-colonialism mm. system. Mm. Mm. It's really interesting. Um, Waikato Family Support. We're going through a process to look at rebuilding the building we own in Queen Street, and I told gave a staff update as the chair to them this morning. And one, it was one of the staff that said to me two days ago, and it, it really has hit me, that if you look at the, analyse the nature of the buildings in the centre, town centres of most of New Zealand, it's a colonial model. Mm. 
it's a very English model and it it doesn't make a lot of good sense at a whole range of levels mm. and so you know we're, we're looking at trying to um, what Edward de Bono calls put a provocation in right? because uh, architecture speaks before we do mm. And uh, so if you put a provocation in, and that's my, one of my many unhidden agendas, is that I actually want New Zealand to become bicultural because when you understand bicultural, multicultural takes on a brand new meaning. Yes. Because you can, you can only actually put two cultures working together. Mm. So you've got to get to a position where you understand another culture first and foremost. Yes. Before you can start to... But what, what we tend to do in New Zealand is say, well, we're, we're going to be multicultural, just be English. Yeah, 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 yeah. We disguise it, but that's what we're saying. That's right. And people say, oh, I wouldn't understand that stuff. But guess what? You've you've fantasized about doing the haka as a kid. Yeah. When you've been overseas, you've been proud as punch when it comes on. And you were... 100%. You, you gave yourself a portal into what it means to have this, you know, these deeper meanings that attach and they're so powerful. I mean, haka is a good example it's because perfect. it's nothing apart from acknowledging the past for our moment to try and survive. Yes. And and guess what it didn't come from? Well, um, the kind of colonial background. 100%. Mm. And to be honest, a lot of Asia wants to do business with New Zealand not because of the colonial model but because of the Māori model they they actually can connect at a whole range of levels Mm. with Māori business people that they can't connect with a Pākehā business person so you know basically New Zealand's been 140 years waiting to grow up yeah yeah. (laughs) and it's uh, you wonder if we will grow up in this current time we're in or if we'll regress a little bit, you know. I guess you look at the other parts of the world and you see, see these factions starting to divide. And at least I'm not sure if that's the majority, though, you know, because most of us are vaccinated. And yeah, it's what you got to keep in perspective. Yeah. Over ninety percent of New Zealand are now that's double right. vaccinated. That's right. That's right. That's so probably more thinking. No, no. You're probably getting down to that figure I quoted before of the five to seven percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably reality. Well, and I think I've seen stats on social media, for example, where uh, it's like 2% make 98% of the, the content, the yes. posts, and they're the loudest and they're the, the algorithm boosts them. And it's like, yeah, that's why it feels so toxic, if you like, because 2% of people are screaming at the 98%. <laughs> See, people don't know how to manipulate algorithms. And I learned it when I was doing career coaching. And... I've got a, another book burning in me, and it's my first go at non-fiction trying to write a novel, and I want to take it from a different angle. And this professor I was talking about before has really tweaked my juices as to trying to be really, really creative in it. So it's going to take a while to write this novel. Uh, but I forgot what I started to say. It's horrible getting old. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, talking about uh, the non-fiction. Oh, non-fiction, and, and so... We and the use of language, mm-hmm. we 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 don't actually comprehend the language we use because it's so ingrained in us. Mm. And um, I, I commented about in my book that's with publishers in Los Angeles at the moment, awesome. waiting for the green light, and it sounds like I'm going to get the green light for the next one out next year. And I talk about if you put a got a floor and this, there's been psychology, psychology um, research on this of, and put a whole 20 babies and they're all from different languages and cultures and put them on the floor 
the 20 little babies would communicate like little babies and get on incredibly well. Wow. And it's the adults that train them to be racist, to be all capitalist, to be all the ist things that we do in society. Yeah. We've actually conditioned that, and we're not even aware of how much we have been conditioned, let alone how much we're conditioning others around us. Mm. So you put little babies before they can talk when they're just at the crawling phase. There's only The only experiment I'm aware of and when I did psychology and came across it, was they actually put a, they put these little kitties, little babies that could crawl on a um, table, for want of a better phrase, and, and it was an optical illusion. But as they came along, they were going, and it was a black and white check floor. The next bit, if they went one bit more, the, the floor dropped about 20 feet, created the optical illusion that it dropped 20 feet. And the babies all started crying. Not a single baby would cross it. Wow. And they, so they, they, they reasoned that the very first fear we learn is the fear of falling. And that's with little babies. Because if we, ta- we should take ourselves back to that state of when we're, and go back to the true basics. That we, as little babies, we accept everything around us. You, and it's like you used the illustration before about dogs. Puppies will adore their owners that could be the cruelest mongrels out mm. because they know un, only know unconditional love. Mm. As adult, as humans, we get to realise over time that that wasn't love, unconditional love. It was quite conditional. Mm. But puppies, dogs never, ever break. For, and if you get a dog that's... And I had one a number of years ago. It was a rescue dog that had phobias coming out every orifice of itself. And um, we loved it and had a wonderful time. But there'd be things that could happen would trigger it straight back to the, its abuse period. Mm. You couldn't... And that's what I say, the intergenerational approach from a breeding perspective, you could, over a number of generations, you could train that trait out. Yeah. But that that dog, with all the right care and professional... You know, I knew dog and I was trained in that world... You ne- never, ever got it out. And I spent, I don't know how many hundreds of hours with that dog trying to develop its confidence and its a bit, take away all the fears and phobias, but there was, there'd be triggers, and you think, back to square one. You know, that back to square one scenario, I think about it often, I'm like, what does that mean? Is it, you know, are, they, are the near-death experiences or the ayahuasca-type psychedelic experiences people talk about, is that resetting something to help with trauma? Because I... I actually did a podcast the other week with a professor in Israel, and his whole study is around um, his whole study is around how humans interacted with caves. So we have this kind of yep. historical fascination with caves and going really deep shelter, within them. Yeah. And then what we'd do is we'd light fires within them, and we found that as it burned the oxygen down, we'd get these psychedelic trips yep. because we'd be running it, you know, like kind of, whoa. O- and that's where the cave art came. But I was like, okay, the cave art, I think everyone kind of thinks, you know, ancient humans, they did that. But I think they were working on something when they were having this low oxygen, you know, almost like what I read about with these psychedelic experiences. Basically, in a psychedelic experience, people pee and poo for 12 hours and purge everything and they are confronted with the things they're scared about which they need to confront and so you like go on this 12 hour journey and you come through and you're like oh okay I've kind of dealt with it who in the western world is one of the greatest sculptures artists oh I don't know you tell me Michelangelo Mm. he did the Sistine Chapel lying on scaffolding on his back 
what's going on for him when he is doing that? Mm. Because paint gives off fumes <laughs> and paint, you get stoned on paint fumes. Mm, right. That's why the, the painters that paint our houses and everything are at high risk of alcoholism mm. and drug addiction. Mm. And it's not because they're weak people, it's because they live in those fumes. Yeah. Some of the greatest poetry some of the greatest artwork done in the world the people have been off their face on substances mm, right so that's interesting isn't it because you also have the counter which is like people are using this to help suppress not enhance oh, there's, 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 you can't put any group of humans 100% in any category it just doesn't work mm. you know Carl Jung developed the introvert extrovert model and the um, Briggs took it to a stage further personality test and they've yet to meet anyone when you do the Myers-Briggs test who is 100% in any category because if you were you'd be in a psychiatric hospital because you, you're so warped out hmm. where you all need balances of different just what percentage of each thing that you fit in hmm. so we fit we don't none of us for me I believe every human being is unique and yep. special yep. we are all unique you know, I'm quite different to my brothers and sister. They, even though we were born of the same parents, we sometimes there are certain um, behavioural mannerisms we will do that we see in common. Uh, my oldest brother and I, we physically looked alike, except he was blonde and I'm this colour. Hmm. Trying to go blonde, <laughs> a version of blonde. <laughs> um, but you know. I, I look at my middle, my sister, only sister, and my middle brother, and I, for the life of me, can't see any connecting points between us. And you've got the same genetics. Mm. You know, there, there probably are other people probably see it, but I certainly don't. Probably too close to the problem. Mm. So we are all quite unique. And you know, when I had to study when I was in the police, um, the art of genetics for breeding better dogs. Uh, I was deemed I was the smartest one going through the dog course because I'd actually sat school. See, the fact I hadn't passed it was irrelevant. <laughs> I'd sat it. <laughs> so I was the smart one, so I had to do genetics because I was brighter than everybody else. It still makes me laugh all these years later. But, but you know, I got quite fa I did get genuinely quite fascinated in it. But, you know, um, Mendelssohn was a, a monk who started the science of uh, studying genetics and he took white poppies and cross-pollinated them with red poppies. And in his mind, it was quite simple. You'll have red and white, 50% red and white poppies. You didn't. Mm. You could get pure white poppies still, you could get pure red poppies, and you could get every imaginable combination in between. And the interesting thing was he then would get the ones that came out as pure whites and cross-pollinate them with only white poppies, and four or five generations down the thing, suddenly one would be a red. Wow. And when you get into looking at that sort of science, you realise that we're actually a lot more complex than we realise. Oh, and just to, like, that sparked something in my mind. I saw something the other day about the immune system, and it's got these ways of detecting up to 10 billion different threats yeah and just by joining little bits here and a little bit there and i'm like wow like talk about a you know that spark of divine yeah that's what a spark of divine is it's 10 billion different things whenever you need it and it might not ever happen but it might yes and it will have a go at trying to solve something and it's like yeah your immune system's got 10 billion different ways to look after you yes wow 
you know, try to create that in AI. <laughs> I went into Chemist Warehouse in Pukki the other week. Our cat was looking a bit off colour. And I said to my, my wife, and she's a long-furred one, so they tend to get constipated. And I, I cracked up with the previous cat, and the vet said, um, you need to get her to um, fix her constipation. And I said, what do you do? He said, I'd make her drink more fluids. I said, can you tell me how on earth you get a cat to drink more? I still to this day do not know how you meant to do that. <laughs> so anyway, I th- thought... what. Well, Cod liver oil, that'll get, and it won't do her any harm, I'll get some cod liver. So I went and asked them, do, did you, do you have any cod liver oil? So the assistant, she was really lovely, went down, and it was right down at floor level, which means they don't sell. And she said, it's really, really good for your immune system. And I said, I'm not buying it for me. And she said, what? I said, I'm buying it for my cat. And she gave me the look. I said, these are capsules. She said, yes. I said, is there liquid in the middle of them? She said, yes. I said, good, that's what I want. And I said, oh, look, I think my cat might be a bit constipated. I'll just cut a couple of tablets up and put it on her food, and that'll get her going again. And it worked a treat. Mm. It got her and, and But I came home and I thought, isn't it interesting? Part of this COVID thing yep. is about weak immune systems. Yes. And yet I've never heard anyone coming out and saying, get the, the medication my grandparents used, which was cod liver oil, Absolutely. to look after us. Absolutely. I mean, that uh, cod liver oil, fish oil in general. It's like, so healthy for oh, us. And we, we don't produce it. No. So we need it. And if you can't get it through grass-fed meats and all of those things, and we don't eat enough fish, then you get these, uh, you know, weird kind of um, outcomes. I, I, I started, kind of studied a little bit of it because I was real fascinated with um, mac, no, micronutrients. Yeah. Macronutrients we talk about all the time, you know, carbohydrates, proteins. Yeah. But none of the micronutrients, the vitamins and all these things, we just kind of think, oh, take a, um, you know, multivitamin. But our grandparents and their parents they had a way stronger nutrient base than us well they, they used fermented stuff a lot more than yes. what we do that's right that's right and it is being shown that that's a huge part in negative mental health yes because your body is basically uh looking and searching and so guess what it makes you do it makes you never sit still you're always on edge yes. trying to find the nutrition and i uh there's a professor who i've interviewed julia ruckledge she's um doing cutting edge science around you know people who had less ptsd after the uh, christchurch earthquakes yeah because they took these um you know fish oil supplements and, yeah. and, but but she was prescribing like up to 12 times the normal recommendation that's what her studies are it's like it's not enough our ancestors had way more control over that than we do and we're just guess what we're seeing skyrocketing mental health crisis yeah. um people can't get on i read something about fish oil being like how you deal with space awareness you know and it's like yeah you don't really need much if you're just on a device up here but get out into the real world and it's all about touch and pull when you think about a fish it needs to have its perception for great almost 360 degrees at a time for its survival yeah yeah. So it'll, it'll by nature will have things within its system mm. that actually make it, its eyes work like they do. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm following a guy because I love my trout fishing, and there's a guy down Taupo Way who does really cool um, videos of, of himself fishing and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, I was sitting there thinking the other day, gee, why hasn't someone put a camera under the water so we can watch the trout in that environment? 
and next thing up pops in the algorithm that this guy doing it and he got two big plates of steel plates and he drilled holes in them to put his underwater cameras on and judged the angles and everything and he, he made a fundamental flaw at the beginning he put it in the Waitanui down near Taupo and that's known to be a pumice but it's equally known amongst fishermen to be you see fish galore beautiful fish in there it's really really hard to catch but when he put the cameras underwater I, he couldn't even see his lures coming through the water and a couple of them hit the hit the cameras wow. and it wasn't until they hit it that you could see it and so he said, no wonder, he, and, and this is a professional fisherman, he's a guide and charges like a wounded bull for his guiding trips, so I went and looked them up. But he said, he had, how on earth do the fish survive and operate in there? Mm. And we don't know. Mm. And we, we have our mythologies as fishermen about a lot of stuff, and it's all superstition. And it was like, that, that's why tagging fish has become important. Because in Taupo, fishermen used to believe that and like the, a, a, a trout would have an area that it would just patrol, and that was its patch. They found by putting tags on them that they now, and they've, they've got what, um, electronic ones that they can actually, on computers, see the movement of the trout all day. Mm. And in Lake Taupo, the average trout does the circumference of the lake a minimum of once a day. So your statistical chances of you catching that fish as a fisherman and that same fish twice in the one day are virtually non-existent. Mm. So, you know, to understand the, the nature of the fish, to understand how fish is important to our diet and what are the, what are the, what are the vitamin and element deficiencies in our soils in New Zealand. Now, I know from my personal experience, magnesium, we have, cow, we have magnesium blocks for cows to lick. Now, my heart condition is 100% attributable mm. to magnesium deficiency. Mm. And when I first started, I was on one tablet a day of magnesium, and now I'm up to three yeah. to try and carry on functioning like I was before it all happened. Mm. And it's a deficiency in our soil. Yeah, and that's not a deficiency that, I mean, you can't, it, it's hard to prove, but I, I would say just as a person thinking, you know, um, look at, examples of that dad you were talking about who was uh you know taking the kid yeah. out to you can probably maybe i shouldn't but i would estimate that maybe the diet would equivalently show yes. that it's um if it's not a traditional let's say maori or pacific or even uh ancient um british diet kind of pre 500 years ago because i think once everything got into jars and became easy to chew that buggered up a whole bunch of other things i agree um but yeah, we if we want to kind of work intergenerational, intergenerationally. Congrats, Will. That was a big <laughs> word. Your it. biggest word on the podcast. Um, it shouldn't just include systems and roofing and housing and opportunity. It should include like nutrition as well, right? Nutri and you, it's got it's actually got to go even deeper because it's it, it's actually about your wider or your spiritual. Mm. What is it that makes you the essence of you, who you are as a person? Mm. And that's something. And that's not about becoming a religious nutter. It's it's not about you know having to go to church or anything like that. Mm. But what what may What's the inner things inside yourself that affects the messages in your head that you can't, that are beyond you? Yeah. 
And so that's, you know, we, we're talking about it at Waikou Family Support about the Korowai um, model where we wrap the cloak of the Korowai all around you and you need all those little feathers and you need every little bit of every feather because a feather is made up of millions of little things for you to actually... So it's not a, it's not a simple thing of we, we'll give you a pill and you're going to be all right nonsense. It's actually looking at you from a holistic perspective mm. as to what's happening for you. And at the end of the day, it's only you who can fix you. Yep. We can't fix you. We, 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 we can't make you right. For whatever that being right means for you, it's mm. only you can. That's right. We, we can give you a range of tools and everything and for you to work at, and it's up to you how hard you want to work at it, how important it is to you for whatever your reasons are. Mm. And... We have created a medical system, a health system, an education system that actually ignores those basic premises. Yeah. We actually say, we actually know what's right for you, so you have to comply to us. Mm. And, and we, we do, you know as well as I do, we do that in education. Our whole thing is about, well, I'm important. I'm standing up the front. I'll give you my knowledge. Yeah. And we'll try and disguise it by saying, we, we, you know, that you know you, this is about you learning mm. but it's actually still about me passing on information instead of you you learning how to blow yourself up and saying oops but too late <laughs> well that's how some science formed wasn't it exactly a lot of them killed themselves <laughs> trying before the, to get the theories exactly exactly and I, I kind of imagine too you know talking about those caves there would have been plenty of people who went a little bit too far burnt the, and then passed out and everyone was like okay we can go to here yeah and that's, and that's how we a, worked out our boundaries yeah or plants you eat and yeah. you know someone that's was how like, probably we learned to swim yeah people drowning falling yeah. in the water whoops yeah and you know there's cultures where that's how you learned to swim you would throw the baby exactly. in the water and those that did, yeah. well they were no good anyways because they couldn't swim exactly and you must have imagined Imagine that those people were like probably seen as oh wow, you know. Thankfully, they were doing. It. Let's not ever forget that, you yeah, know. And it was passed through in story. Isn't it a crime that today people just die? Yeah, just because because and that we just say they're dead. Yeah, it's like they're not teaching us anything. We're they're not, not teaching us how to live. You know, the three hundred or six hundred people who pass every year from suicide. We're not like memorializing it to say we need to not make that happen. It just be like. Everyone's just like, well, what do we do about it? You know, is it a, being a bit happier or no? It's like everything we're talking it, about. It's, it's that coral we talk mm. about there, and it's not just about putting a cloak around you. You've got to look at each individual feather and all the little bits that make up the feather. It's mm. and and it goes back. You think about the five thousand things. It, it could be one little. I mean, say the neurology of the brain. We still have. I don't think we're even at the 1% mark of understanding yeah. the brain. And all those neurons and all that, that whiz and bang and crash around in there. I was listening to a um, YouTube clip this morning from a young woman about swearing. And she said that swearing, actually, every person does it. They just, some aren't as honest as others about it. But they've actually discovered, she's from Holland, that swearing actually operates out a completely different part of the brain to speech. <laughs> Which you know raises a humongous amount of questions about the wise wherefores and you know, and we and if you go in there and cut that part out, what are you actually doing and what's the the implications? And I'll guarantee somewhere someone's experimenting cutting those nerve bits out to see what the heck's going on. Yep. Let's not live in cuckoo land. That yep. sort of stuff is going on. Well, and I guess what you're also referring to is that they might be micro ways of getting. The, you know, the, the the anger out, 
the or dealing with it you know like human ways where you you need to purge that somehow and it's important not to let it yeah. build up but we've totally you know like well, that's what she said about swearing that it's actually mm. healthy because for a lot of people it releases a lot of stress in them mm. and you they a lot of the people that claim they don't swear by the time they get up to point you know my father said he never swore well, oh, fat, what was that? It was a swear word. It yeah. mightn't be one that yeah. everyone else used, yeah. but it was a swear word because yeah. he used it when he was stressed and when things were going wrong. Mm. It's, that's, it's no different to anyone else yeah. using a widely recognised swear word. And, you know, that would be really useful to give to parents to say, make up a swear word yeah. when they're young and that's actually cool. Tell yeah. them that it's it's a really bad word, and then don't and then just leave it because they'll use it to be like it's you're such a mechanism. blah blah. And yeah. for them, it's like you know the f it's, word or whatever. I got to give you Nira <laughs> Bobitsky's. Um, I'll, I'll email you the link to, and you can track it down and do a podcast about it <laughs> about that, that use of a language because you know she's saying that from a cognitive science perspective. We are still at the infancy stage. Although they're getting data on it now, mm. she's waking up to the fact it's the infancy stage of understanding the impact that language is having on us. Mm. She went and studied a group of Aborigines in Australia, obviously, and um, she. I, I, I want to find out how she did it because they, they must have had, been, had some English speaking. But she talked about the concept of time and direction. And they would say, "Oh, there's a there's a um, there's a ant on your southeast leg." Wow! Because they didn't have a concept of left and right. Hmm. Left and right didn't exist in their language. So, uh, if you'd say I'd come up to you and say hello, uh, south southeast, the far distance, because they their concept was they they related to the land. The time didn't exist. It was all relative to the land, mm. and they understood the ground and the landscape. You know, they've been there for thousands of years. It, at a certain level, it makes sense. And and it's hilarious because in the clip, she says to the students, "Now I want you all to close your eyes, and I want you to point to the south southeast." <laughs> and it was hysterical because the camera went through, and they were point. And she says. Doesn't hold much hope for you. Meant to be the brightest in America, and you can't even get south southeast correct. <laughs> and then she, she admitted that she couldn't point south southeast. And she she was a professor at twenty three years of age. She's super super intelligent. Yeah. But you know we we think we're so knowledgeable. That's right. And we're not. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely think that. That's what came up in that podcast that uh, with the Israeli professor. We think we're so dominant with yeah. our thought patterns and we, we might as well be babies well we are i think i think we've just regressed into babies you know give you three days in a row of something hard and probably most of us will fall over well in fairness covid showed how the people could throw tantrums yeah there were huge right. numbers of rational people throwing tantrums of all descriptions mm, mm, mm. and really Really, like, with such conviction. Oh, they were hundred percent right. Yeah, I, I had uh, uh, um, uh, two mates that I actually had to intervene in on Facebook who were throwing boulders at each other. They weren't little spats at each other, and so I, I took went offline to both of them and said, "Can you just settle down and not talk to the other guy?" Mm. And then I went to one because I was quite concerned about him and had the conversation. It was a, took, it was four hours late on a Friday night, and he admitted he he, he was an anti-vaxxer and he was suicidal. 
Wow. Because he, he, and this guy runs a very successful business in another part of New Zealand, employs about 30 staff, and he is a rational, logical guy. He, he couldn't run his business if he wasn't, because it requires a huge amount of maths and things like that in it. Uh, and and he's still a rational human being to me. But, you know, we've, you say about our aggression, I think COVID revealed an awful lot about an awful lot of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and some of it was unpleasant to witness. Oh, absolutely. And even difficult to know what to do with it, especially, you know, you have family members who, um, you know, have different opinions and whatnot. And I, I ended up just... Well, not saying to people what they should do because that's not the role that I've taken on in society. Yeah, you know, it's like it's journeying with them, whatever their decision. That's is. That's right, and Being I've actually called a few people and said, well, "Well, see how I go. If I grow a thumb out the front of my head, or you know, my heart enlarges, or any yeah. of the things that we're reading, you know, let's be the first to say it happened to someone that's not a bad guy, you know, and." I'm not a totally healthy person. I've got you know, high blood pressure and too much weight. So I'm a perfect candidate for those things to kind of to be a conspiracy, right? And, um, you know, so far I've had the both shots and feel okay. And, uh, uh, you know, it's like I guess you wouldn't know if you had changed too much, but you've seen me before the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, before and after. <laughs> I must be honest, my first shot I didn't enjoy. But that was nothing to do with COVID, with yeah. the injection. Mm. It's because the nurse and I were too busy jabbering our heads off, and she and I, they had me sitting down so that she was on my left side, and she said, yeah, you've got to pull your sleeve right up. And she actually put it through my stab wound, and, and it was painful, oh. really, really painful for about three days. Yeah. But my wife had had it the, the, the week before, her first one, and she said, it's no pain. And that's when the penny dropped for me. It was in my. It's the first time I've ever had an injection go in my stab wound. Right. I always give the other arm, and so when I went back for the second one, I said, uh, "Can we twist around? I actually would like it in that one." And I explained what happened. She said, "Oh, yes, of course. We, we, no one's told us to check for old wounds, not to put them in." So she did it in the other arm, and I never felt a thing. Yeah, that's really interesting, Bruce. Like, what is held within that wound? Eh. You, I can imagine what it what is held. Well, it's just all can bristle, but I, and yeah. it's my my description of yeah, it. Yeah, And it's like the, the psychological from you know when I was going to the psychologist from a PTSD, PTSI. The police want me to call it because right. it, it, it's my second book is very interesting because my editor is in Los Angeles and obviously American, and I'm obviously Kiwi. And it's as though we don't even speak the same language at times. It really, really is so fascinating, the use of words. And she, she, and because I'm wanting to pitch to an American audience with the publisher I'm going through, I've got to, I'm the one that has to change. It ain't easy, um, I tell you. But, um, you know, when I was going to my, that's why the PTSI, I had it in my writing sometimes as PTSI and sometimes as PTSD. And she said, which is it? And I said, it depends on who the heck you talk to. Because <laughs> the police told me off because I got it from as a result of injury. The psychologist says it's PTSD because I, it was not just the injury, it was everything wrapped around it and, and there was a build-up to it. I was probably brewing for it anyways. Mm. Uh, so languages shape our reality. Absolutely. Um, but he said to me when I was going through my therapy, for want of a better phrase, my sessions with him, uh, I said, look, I've got to be honest, there were chunks of time back then 
I I have zero memory of. I really there's there's about I would say a two year period where I wouldn't even remember half the time. Really. And he said, and and I I wondered whether I was foolish making the comment to him. And he says, we're going to leave that there because that's your brain actually looking after you. There will be a reason why the brain doesn't want you to go back there because it will damage you further. Ooh. And I thought, what the hell is in there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and... But that's our, our mind and our body looking after us. Yeah. Yep, it's it's that ten billion ways of being able to do it, right? And yeah, exactly. The brain will have something like that too. It's like, hold on a minute, we've got to put the projection forward to get Bruce to as far down the road, and yep. maybe it's not worth holding on to that for now. Yep, and it's unnecessary for him going forward for what he's doing. It's an unnecessary piece of information, mm. and it's like, yeah, we delete stuff off our computers because it's no longer needed. Mm. Why the heck should the brain be any different? Oh, man. Why is it so fascinating to talk to you? So, <laughs> no, no, because because I know why it is. Because you have, how do I, you know when you like, uh, people say there's a chemical, well, a, a man and a woman or a, a people, when they get together, they there's this chemical connection. Yes. And, and maybe, like, obviously we're not privy to it, but you need that person for something and they need you for something and it's like this nice relationship. I think that's what happens too where I'm fascinated because you've lived a few variants of life. <laughs> Not hiccups, but you know, like that's the resilience built. And and I yearn to – my experiment in life is can I pick that up? Can we as an audience pick that up through the guest? Or is it something that unfortunately you have to live and I don't know the answer to that. You I'll know? tell you, I, 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 it's interesting you're raising it because I've been wrestling with it in the last few weeks and I can't even logically explain why I've been wrestling with it. Uh, I've been through prostate cancer and one of the things, when, and mine was aggressive and it was a fun, interesting time, not. Um, but they, I, I had what's called a radical prostatectomy and they cut a whole chunk of my male plumbing out. Mm. And so... I call. I jokingly, I only do it at home with my wife. Call myself the family eunuch now, because although I might still have a penis, I might as well not, because all it's good for is urinating through. Yeah. But it really, it's fascinating, and I don't know how anyone could even start to understand it unless you've been through it. But your sexual drive is completely gone. Gotcha. It's completely gone out the door. I can watch. I could probably watch pornography and sit saying, <laughs> because it, it, which says to me that there's some chemical that was in there yep. that has been removed. Yep. And it, and it, and it's affected up here. Yes. Um, interesting because I did it and there was no counselling, nothing to tell me. Is that right? Any of this sort of stuff yeah. that I've gone through, and I'm, at one level, I'm quite grateful because it, I'm, uh, sometimes me being me, I need the hard road to go down to try and work it out myself. Yes. But yeah, it, it's shifted my thinking by, and it's it's not until I've been through it that I realised how many times a day an average male thinks about sex. Yes, yes. <laughs> and now I don't. Yeah. And it's you know, and it and it happened in the course of an hour or two in Auckland Hospital. The shift happened. That was the speed of it. Yeah. Well, what's brutal about that too is it's not just you; it's your partner. And they it impacts get on your relationship. the burden shared. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, yeah, and, and it, 
And the question is, is there anything you can think your way through or is it just that, that you now don't have something and that's it and you have to kind of work through that. And and I'm this is another example of how the system, if you like, isn't built to really support a Bruce, no. a Will, no. a, and anyone. Anyone. It just thinks of it as a, a, you're a, a piece of a data. Yeah. You are, you're a number on a spreadsheet. Mm. Uh, yeah, when, when I got discharged, medically discharged from the police, I didn't want to go. Mm. And I remember saying to the district commanding, just let me have a year out to get my head right and come back because I loved the job. And he said, Bruce, you're already replaced. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're a number on a spreadsheet. We've already got a recruit going through the training school to replace your number. I reckon people. Um, I reckon people who say those type of things. I reckon that haunts them. Well, the interesting thing I'd worked under that same district commander when he was a um, superintendent. He was when he made that comment. He was a chief superintendent, and he'd been my commander when I was at Lower Hutt, and now he was at Hamilton. And when we were, he was at Lower Hutt, we worshipped him. He was such a cool, neat guy. And when I heard he was coming to be our district commander in Hamilton, I was cartwheeling. I thought best boss I've ever worked under and he was the guy that one day called me in his office and I was struggling with everything and said it's time you pulled your bloody socks up and acted like a man now get back down there and do your job and what did I do I went down and found a police 38 and my mate came in the office when I had it in the mouth and this was a guy that I walked on water for me And then he was, about a couple of months later, he's the, he was the one who said, you're just a number on a spreadsheet for me, Bruce. And I I still can't, and interesting, when I was a minister in Palmerston North, his grandmother was in my parish. And when mm-hmm. she said, heard I was an ex-policeman, she said, oh, you must know, and I'm not going to name him. And I said, yes, and I had two quite different memories of him. So I stuck to the good one, because that was the grandmother. I thought, you wouldn't cope with hearing the other side mm-hmm. of your grandson that, that I experienced to the Jekyll and Hyde side of them from my perspective. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if you want to get ahead in the corporate world, you've, and not even in the corporate world, I applied for a chief executive job in a not-for-profit, and it was actually a hospice. Mm. And do you know why they didn't want me? Why? Because I'd only fired one person. I wasn't strong enough mm-hmm. to fire people. <sighs> and I took it as a thing of pride that I actually got people to turn around and perform according to the organisation or I worked with them and said, look, it's not working out here. Let's find you another job that will work for you. Mm. And I journeyed with them until they got their new job and I did that with all my staff. Yeah, yeah. And and yet we have a mentality now, you're no good as a boss unless you can fire people. It's so wrong. Yeah, it is wrong. And it's the wrong way, you know. It's the wrong way to do that. I mean, I, I... I don't know. I think people can self-delude themselves, you know, that oh, they that they do the right thing. But I don't think so. You know, I think of some scenarios I've had with different bosses and whatnot, and I think that they will tell themselves they're right. But I can sit and smile, and they, they you know, can't. and well, and, you know, I, I, the worst, most corrupt boss I ever worked under, and he was a shocker, absolute shocker. I don't go into the guru details of it. But, you know, um, he got cancer and was dead within a week of being diagnosed with cancer. Mm. Now, it's a, it's easy to sit here and then say, oh, it was the way he was doing it. But how do you reconcile that against my good mate that just died recently who's the complete opposite? Yeah. You know, Bruce, that's the challenge I think a lot of people have with 
having faith in something bigger than them. Yeah. Is reconciling. Those sort of issues. That's right. I think it's two. One is a leap of faith. How do I believe in something that I can't see right in front of me, even though we do it all the time? And the second one is like, how how can the world be perceived as so cruel? Um, it always has been. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's it right. goes back to what you were saying. And, and to be honest, as I've got older, black and white is doesn't really exist it's mm. more gray yeah. and it just varying shades of gray yeah because the concrete in life it doesn't actually exist that's right it's mythology in my opinion yeah and i think the secret too is to not put it all down to like so for example let's just take a uh, sunday for example as a day of worship if you are a pig for the other six days i don't know if one day makes you, it might subvert the pain for a few people around you but the bigger principle is like I'm pretty sure it's not supposed to be cheery for one day. It's interesting because in my new book, that's a very issue I wrestle <laughs> with. And it, because I talk about it's the sequel to the dog collars. It's the second dog collar where I uh, um, left being an ordained a parish minister and went out and kept my ordination and went and worked in the corporate and ran big not-for-profits sector and senior management. And I talked about talking it about it that I struggled to reconcile, and I still do to this day, reconcile people who would be wonderful Christians on a Sunday and be absolute mongrels the other six days of the week, mm. because you know the the values and the beliefs that they claim on a Sunday, and yet they'll go to work and do the complete opposite. Yep, I I, I can't I actually can't I struggle more to rest, come to ter- wrestle with that. Than I do with you know that CEO getting cancer. Mm. I you know I'll never forget when they rang me and told me he died, and I said, well, "What do you want me to do? Come and dance on top of him to make sure he is?" <laughs> and they, Bruce, we didn't expect you that of you. I said, "I don't care what you expect of me. That's how I feel about that guy." Mm. Uh, you know, I'm my feet are still on the ground. You know, he was a mongrel. He was horrible. Mm. He was a bully. He was. I'd bore you with adjectives for the next hour of what I thought of him. Mm. Um, Interesting enough, all of the other senior managers there, we're still good mates to this day, and Mm. I've often said we had a common enemy. Mm. Yep. Yep. Well, I guess that's that, um, you know, it's worth having that mental programming. Like you were laying out for that dad, thinking he was doing the best to create. You know, it could have been that, his dad was had to create a monster because that's all the gift the burden he could give you know or something like that but yeah it's just so weird that there was that Jekyll and Hyde and like, but see it could go use your illustration of the um Samoan guy who wasn't until he came out to New Zealand that he then shifted to being an abusive husband mm-hmm. we don't know going back in those things we don't know the backstories yes my editor she puts in she blows me socks off sometimes with the comments she puts there. And I, when I get to the last chapter of the book, is summing up some of the lessons I've learnt through all these experiences. And I said in there, we, we actually should never criticise another human being until we know their true backstory. And their backstory might be three to four generations back. Yeah. And, and Flo came back and she said, You've just put in one sentence what I've been wrestling with for about 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, I just did. <laughs> but it's true. You know, we, we, we're, and Carl Jung, the world famous psychologist, he said, when all else fails, we lean back on judging people. Mm. And it is, we, we, 
why humans are wired to judge each other to the extent we do. I don't know what how much of it's social conditioning. I don't know how much of it's genetic. I don't honestly know. Mm. But we we all. I'm guilty of doing it. I'm not going to profess I'm innocent in that area. I can someone what I think of them as good as the next person, and I have people I cross the street to avoid even a conversation with. Crikey's, I'm human. Yeah. But you know, I still wrestle with trying to be as understanding of a of another human being as I, as I can. Mm. There are some that I just struggle to even get to the starting point of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the the flip side, which let's say that one person who's horrible for six days and on the seventh day they go to church, for example, good. <laughs> it gives you a glimmer of hope. You might, in one of these uh, days in life, I don't know how many Sundays there are in someone's life, but let's hope it's enough for something to get, you know, worked through. Yeah. And then that would be a nice... Um, but see, the problem is that we will arrest that person at some stage yeah. and put them in a system that will actually make them worse, not better. Yeah. Because yep. the system is not right. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I've seen it with squillions of people through my career mm. that we've, you know, I went and fought for a guy who was a mate who committed, he was charged with fraud. And uh, it was extremely technical. And what it was, his bosses hated his guts and wanted to get rid of him. And it was a jack up. And when he called me in to be his support person, he had a lawyer and he just said, Can you support me through this? And I, I wrote a letter to the judge on his behalf. And I said, If you go back to the original word, meaning of the word justice, we've distorted it in society that we've turned justice and made justice and punishment one and the same word. Mm. But if you go back into the original Greek, which is where the concept of justice for Western world came from, justice was about putting right what was wrong. Quite a different notion mm. to punishment. And you know with your kids, you don't always punish them, especially when they're at the learning phase. Yeah. You do it quite a different approach. Mm. And we 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 just automatically judge people. You've done wrong. We're going to whack you. And and I look at kids of young ages appearing in court, and I'm thinking, but you know, we've now got youth justice systems. And I had the privilege of sitting one in Manukau when I first came here, and they had the whole extended family there came in, the school teachers, everything's there, sitting with the judge, and there was no robes, and they were just sitting chairs in a room and the, the, the kid was treated as a human being with dignity mm. even though their acts which society would say didn't warrant it it was a Pacific Island judge and she I took, got to talk to her afterwards and said you're blowing my socks off I, why hasn't this existed for a few hundred years she said it actually did in the islands that's why we don't have the problems you guys have yeah. And it's true because you, the, the crime rates in the islands has only come since the Western societies moved in. That's right, since they brought two-minute noodles and things full All of crap. rubbish stuff. Yeah, it, it's like uh, one of the professors that kind of mentors me is uh, Grant Schofield. He was, he was kind of big. Oh, I know of him. Yeah, he's the fat professor guy and he you know yeah. it's all obvious now that fat's good and it's sugar that's bad but he was saying it and everyone was like you're going to kill people and he's like it's the sugar that's killing, killing people. people 
But what he didn't know then is what he knows now. It's the sugar that makes us have these. Our brains don't work properly, they, and they get overwired. Yeah, and but it's and, not just the sugar. It's the process. It's this process. Oh, this if ultra. you went back to the islands and ate the raw, raw sugar and the cane sugar out there, yeah, no impact. Or honey, you know, yeah, honey, and, all that sort of stuff. But yeah. even nowadays, we process honey. Exactly, we knock the living day. So if, if you get the wild stuff, uh, you know, if you pull it out of the hive and you just eating that, mm. it's really, really good for you. Absolutely, it's got bits of wax and everything. And yeah, you need. and you can't like. I remember reading a thing about fat, and when your body's had enough, it makes fat not taste good. Yeah, and everyone can think about that. You know, you eat something fatty, and you're like, mm, until a certain point, you're like, I've had enough. That doesn't happen with that ultra processed. Uh, there's no connection. It's just like keep putting the chips in, keep putting the chips in, and that's the problem. Well, that, Jamie Oliver has just won a case. I'm not sure that it was this year, but in some t- recent time, against McDonald's. It's the first person who's taken McDonald's on and knocked them around and actually been able to show what goes into their food mm-hmm. and actually how they put stuff that is poison, if you had it on its own, in there to preserve their, their meats and their patties and their things like that. Mm. And yet we still see these ruddy, fast-chewed food rubbish dumps popping up all the time, killing our population. Yeah. And they're killing our kids. They're yeah. killing our kids. I was lucky. I grew up, we didn't have any fast food mm. chains. Mm. I never experienced them until I was in the 30s. I, you know, I can I can still remember KFC arriving. And when I was stationed at it was the first fast food chain. And mm. we had all, you couldn't get the public, couldn't get access to it because all the police cars were lined up to get their high on the on it. it really, you know, and it's, it's disgusting what that stuff is. Yeah. Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible, and um, and it disguises itself, you know, and it disguises itself legally, yes. and it disguises itself in taste. And I think that, you know, I watched a movie with the family the other night. It was on Netflix, and it was about. Um, I'll just give you the quick premise. Basically, it's a a lady thinks she's being visited by a ghost. As the story progresses, she had a close call with death. So it's yeah. death getting owed something and death can't in this story it can't ask you to do it yourself but it can manipulate others around you so it goes into this really dark place but the freakiest thing was you couldn't see it you could feel it it could manipulate you might look up and think you see a shadow and it is it but as soon as you look at it it disappears and i thought initially i thought that's not scary what's scary is a boogeyman that you can see and i'm like actually no no, that's real it's scary if you can't feel it it's kind of what i thought maybe like a devilish thing might be you know it's this it's just sitting there waiting and then it will just twist and and prod and it feels like that's what fast food is you know it does when you need to be on edge and have your body and system working to get you out of a problem, guess what? All you got to run on is these leftover bits of junk. Stuff that would have, even the dog wouldn't eat. Because if you, you throw stuff at a dog, it'll automatically leave stuff that's bad for it. It won't, it won't chew certain stuff because, and I was telling some friends the other day, I said it was when I was a young fella on a bit of a hoon, and um, I had a pig dog who would eat anything because had to for we went hunting. You just ate what was available, dog, just get used to it hard enough. And we did, we just ate whatever was available in the bush when we were hunting. You'd go in for a couple of days, and you, we didn't, we weren't carrying food in because we, we were thought if we got a pig too quick and lugging the pig and the food back out nah so it was all part of the survival thing but the dogs there's always stuff left over they won't touch mm. and so me with my pig dog who is 
we're well groomed at everything. We we had a party at my place one night, and we're all young single cops. And um, I can't remember why I had boiled onions in a pot, but I did. And one of the guys said, "What's this here?" And I, I can't remember the destination, but I remember we got one of the boiled onions out, and I told Trina that she had to eat this onion. She was not going to touch it. She started reaching with me. Trying, she wanted to be obedient, but she was reaching. Because that onion was not healthy for her. Wow. And I've actually learned since that there's a chemical thing when the onions are boiled that is dangerous for dogs. Really? Yeah. Now, that dog instinctively knew that that, under, that onion was toxic for it. And, and yet, as humans, we actually ignore the, those very warning signs. Yeah. And, and I bet as humans, too, we could make that onion taste good for a dog. We could somehow I'll trick it. it. If, if people out there are a bit loopy and decided to have a go at that, they yeah. would they would do exactly that. They'll hide whatever the smell is or whatever it is that's going on in there just for human pleasure to be cruel to that dog. And then what will happen is the body for a dog will adapt as it can for a human too, yeah. but it takes a cost. It rips a little bit of time away. It says It'll become an intergenerational problem. Become starts to become unsolvable, and we'll sit there with five generations of that, those dogs down the track and say, "Why are these dogs like this?" Mm, mm. And we've not actually realised the trigger was way back, and it was someone experimenting or, or whatever. You know, we're the dogs, eh? In yeah. that story, that's yeah. that's that's the horror. Oh no, we can't end on a uh, note like that. Let's talk about something positive. Um, Can I come back to your death story? That, that sure. thing. I'll tell you a minister story. Yeah, okay. I, when I was, it was after I was out of being a parish minister. I was living in Tiaratu and working at Clear Communications at the time. And I was going to the church at Tiaratu. And the minister left and they were waiting for the process to go to get another minister. So they knew I was a minister. They said, look, could you... And I said, sure, I'm happy to take services. But let's draw the line at that. I'm working a an 80, 90-hour week. I... I have limits as to what I can cope with. Mm. And so they then contacted me and said, this woman wants to kids bat- baby baptised, would I do that? And I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to do a baby baptism. I haven't done very many in my whole career. So um, it was one of the downsides of being out of a parish. You didn't get to do that sort of thing. So um, went through the rigmarole, baptised the baby, blah, blah, blah. It was about six, nine months later, my phone rang one night, and it was the mother of that baby. And she said... I don't know where you sit on where I'm going to tell you. And I said, what? She said, I think there's an evil spirit in one of the rooms in our house. And I said, oh, yeah, okay. Why? And she said, because I can't get the baby in the door of that room. It just screams its lungs out and throws incredible tantrums. But I take it away from that room. And I said, yeah, I'll come and do a cleansing. So I rang up a mate and said, how the heck do you do these? <laughs> <laughs> Find out. So I've been involved as a teenager in the seances and everything, so I dabbled in stuff I should never have. So I, I learned how, how to do a cleansing, and I went there with what we call holy water. And I said to them, look, will you all please get out of the house? Um, because, you know, the guy that told me how to do it said, if you kick a spirit out of a house, it'll go and attach itself to something. So you've got to make sure the people of the house are out because it'll actually invade. And how true that is, I don't know, but I took it seriously. Mm. 
So I was going through the house and I determined I'd leave that bedroom till the end and I was doing the cleansing and you walk in and you say in the name of Jesus Christ I cast out any evil spirits and you do in this sprinkling water thinking gosh this and I was getting glass and this is this is ridiculous this is boring I hope no one's videoing this sort of syndrome and I went to walk through the open door and I was being pushed backwards and I ended up fighting nothing there was nothing visible in front of me I was being pushed out of the room and so I was, me being me and a stubborn mule, I thought, you're not pushing me around. And so I started really sprinkling the water and, and letting rip at it and growling at it. On the other side of the bedroom was a normal window. You know, you have those little ones that come out about a half D thing they swing out at the top? Yep. There was one of those was open and there were lace curtains in the room. Next thing, I was making progress into the room and doing this cleansing and next thing, the curtain started to rip, the lace curtain started to fly around, flapping everywhere. And then they flew out the window and they were parallel, flapping in the breeze. And there was this God Almighty, nerve wracking, screeching noise. And then it all settled down. And there was a crowd of people standing on the street. And all I could think was, where's the whiskey bottle? Um, <laughs> it, it, it was quite unnerving. And so, and I'll finish this on a happy note, the story. I went, you know, finished the room off and then I, I waited a wee bit and then just went and checked all the other rooms, was I allowed and blah, 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 and then went out to the family. And they, and they were crying, saying, thank you for doing that. And I said, how do you know I've done it? And they said, well, we heard the scream and we saw the curtains. And I said, oh, okay. But we watched it go down the street. And I said, what do you mean? They said the leaves were whisking up, flipping up, and they watched it go right out of human sight. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. So went home, Sir so I said, how'd it go? I said, yeah, cleansed the house. I mopped the floors and just left it at that with my sense of humour. And um, following weekend, the mother rings me. And she said, you're not going to believe it, Bruce. I said, what? Try me. She said, I left it a couple of days and then I thought, I'm going to see how the baby goes. The baby sleeps the most calmest as in that room now. Wow. Now, I cannot rationally, logically, irrationally, illogically explain that, but that's what happened to real. I used it in a sermon at Pukekohe last year and I almost couldn't get away afterwards with people told me of similar experiences. <sighs> So how's that for a high note to finish on? That is a, a note of hope because, uh, you know, what's also that movie I was telling you about, the uh, death, if you like, it wasn't giving up. It tried to suggest to the lady, it's not all worth it. Here, take it's your life. It's not a Korean one you watched, is it? No, 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 no. And it tricks her to be in this boat and she's in the middle of the ocean. And because the Koreans are actually making a lot of movies along these lines. We've really? watched a number of them. Ah. They're right into it with that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what helps this girl snap out of it, because it gets yeah. her in a trance, is her friend swims out to the boat and pulls her out into the water. Yeah. And the water, and that's the only thing that snaps her out. And I just thought when you were talking to that story, guess what, I could hear the water in the rain. I was like, yes. In most cultures <laughs> and in most religions in the world, water is a healing tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's a common denominator across all religions, and all, all, and nearly every culture has it. Hmm. I, I I had a problem donkeys years ago, a work related problem, and I rang a coma to a friend of mine and said, 
you know, I went and saw him and said, what's going on? And he says, Bruce, you've got a spiritual blockage. <laughs> and he said, you'd go up the Waitakere Ranges tomorrow morning before the crack of dawn. And when dawn, as dawn starts to see the sun start to come up, you're stripped naked. And I thought, yeah, you've lost me already. And, and he said, and you go and stand under the waterfall that he described. And you say the Lord's Prayer seven times and then trout yourself off and come back and you'll get the solution within an hour. I went and I did that and I came home to the phone call for my next dream job. <laughs> Gosh, R- irrational, illogical, it's... I'll never argue, but it's real. Man, it's real. It's real. It's real. I Like I sit here and I watch you and I really watch, you know, because I'm looking to see like, you know, so far in life, those things haven't presented them- themselves like, where I, something's pushing me back, you know, and I'm like, but when I listen to you and I look at you, I'm like, of course, of course, they that's happen. a thing, and they and happen. you know, we're all kind of built to engage with it, I guess, on some different frequencies, right? Yep. Yes. Just like there's a percentage of us who will never get vaccinated, there'll be a percentage of us who can never feel accept. and sense, and yep. and and I think it's for the many of us to wrap around that, and I I think that's what religion tries to grapple with you know and it tries to say it's mystical and it's magical but it's kind of scientific and it's also for you to work out you know and and i like that i like that when it's not just someone saying it's like this or else yeah i'm not a f- that's my thing that i can't handle people saying look that. And, I mean, we've got to be fair there are, there are churches and ministers that do that mm. i got sent a video clip of a minister the other day who was preaching to his congregation here in new zealand against vaccinations right right that yeah. it was all conspiracy theories and, if, and their theories and if you believed in god you'll never get it mm. And it wasn't Brian Tamaki for the evidence. That's that's a separate debate. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I asked you no questions about where we picked up from twenty, but you took us on another exploration of your story, and I want to thank you. Um, like I said to you last time, round three, let's book it in, and we'll just if you're up for it, I'll keep talking to you because I find you extremely fun to talk to, and I just want to say thanks, mate, for taking us on another journey. You're welcome. I enjoy it because I actually find it quite stimulating. Because you you help me remember things that I that are stored away in my head computer, but the the cobwebs have got a bit dusted off on some of them to remember them. Let's just make sure I stop before we unlock that two years. I think we never want to. <laughs> well, if we do unlock it, we'll record it all, so it's all there. It's but um, posterity. <laughs> awesome, thanks, mate. Appreciate thanks, it. Appreciate it, buddy. That was awesome. Holding my head again. Making my way through crowded thoughts Sometimes it's hard to get out of it Broke my heart in the dark I was just trying to feel something Falling asleep to the sound of it Always used to let you clean up the messes Down on my knees Thought I couldn't stand up on my own Turns out sometimes you're stronger alone Bringing out the fight, yeah, bring on all the lightning Cause I'm looking for a hero Look inside the mirror I find one, oh Carry the hurt when it gets too hard Pick it up, dust it off When I fall down 11, I get up 12 Don't need nobody else, yeah, I save myself got burned but i learned our scars make us who we are now i'm 10 feet tall over my demons 
Remind me no one's got me like myself Yeah, I love me without any help I'm the best thing to believe in So I'm bringing out the fight, yeah Bring on all the lightning Cause I'm looking for a hero Look inside the mirror I find one, oh Carry the hurt when it gets too hard Pick it up, dust it off When I fall down a But I got a million reasons why I won't Cause this heavy is a season And the sun is always right behind the storm 